We're going to come to a time in our service now. We're going to look at a passage from the Bible. We're going to talk about what it means, why this matters at all, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, would you stand together with me when you found Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. If you're on uh, the Pew Bible, you'll see it on page 684. Stand together with me when you found that. We're going to do a little bit of our uh, informal choir conducting here. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. When we get to verse 9, when we have the prayer listed, our Father in heaven, up through, deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to ask you to read with me. Let's read this prayer together, and then I will close us off reading verses 14 and 15. So let's start. Again, I'll read 5 through 8. Read with me at verse 9. Jesus speaking here, he says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus continues, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and ask God's Spirit now to be with us, to speak to us as we look at our passage today. Our Father in heaven, now as we come to your word, I ask you to speak powerfully to us by your Spirit. Would you come here, meet with us, open every heart, open every ear to receive what you want to say to us this morning. That we believe your word is, as you said, it's living and active sharper than any sword, and it pierces right to the very heart of us. And you tell us, Father, when you send out your word, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Oh, God, accomplish that purpose in every one of us this morning. And as I always ask, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue now to speak your truth? Amen. It was probably one of the proudest moments of my young life. Somewhere around the age of 10, I attended a Halloween party at my elementary school, and I participated in a cakewalk, and I won. (laughs) I won an entire cake for me, me, all mine, like an entire cake, which for a child of 10... That's pretty much like winning a Tesla. I I have an entire cake now, me, mine. Now, of course, I I didn't know at at the age of 10 that when someone is describing one of the easiest things in the world to accomplish, 
they call it a cakewalk because you don't do anything. You're just standing on the right number when the music stops and they give you a cake. You haven't, you haven't done anything. I didn't know that. All I knew was, hey, I'd competed hard, and I'm now coming home with the spoils of victory, which I will display on the kitchen counter for all to see. But, as any of you who have siblings know, the inevitable question that comes when everyone gets home is, oh, can I have a piece? Which, if you have siblings, you know the answer to that question is, absolutely not. No. No, you, you get your own cake. I worked hard for this. Now, of course, you know, mom and dad will step in at that time. They'll be like, hey, hey listen, you know, you, you, know, you didn't really actually do anything to earn that cake. And, like, there's actually lots there for everyone to have. So, I'd like you to share. But even then, how does every child with begrudging submission still respond? What do we do? We, we offer the very little tiniest crumb. Fine. There you go. We offer like a, a deli meat-sized slice uh, of cake to some, just, just the very least we can do to kind of appease everybody, but still keep the most of the cake for ourselves. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, we are in the final weeks here of our series on prayer we've called Ask, Accessing the Father's Heart Through Prayer. Over the last few weeks, we've zeroed in on Jesus' teaching on the how of prayer, Matthew 6, commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and today we're looking at the fifth petition of that prayer, which speaks primarily about forgiveness. Given all the things that we've even experienced and seen this past week in our world, I don't think it could be more timely. Speaking about forgiveness. Now forgiveness, that's something you probably hear about a lot today, and it's not a subject that is exclusive to the church, that only we talk about it. You'll hear about it all around the world. Uh, Therapists speak about forgiveness, uh, mayors, Oprah Winfrey, they're all going to talk about forgiveness, the, the healing power of forgiveness in our life. We'll talk about how forgiveness is one of the things that enables us as a society to be able to, to function and, and live together in harmony when we're all inevitably going to offend each other at one time or another. We need forgiveness. But when it comes to talking about forgiveness from God in particular... All of a sudden, we encounter, I think, at least two significant roadblocks. First one being, we have to become convinced of our need for forgiveness from God, which I think comes primarily from our ignorance of God's existence. We want to say, what do you mean? What, what God? Who's, who's this God, and what did I ever do to Him? That's the first roadblock. And then, secondly, once we come to believe in God and understand our need for Him, Second roadblock is that just like my 10-year-old self with that cake, although we've done nothing to merit that forgiveness or earn it in any way, once we've received it, we almost immediately become possessive of it, like it's ours, and we, we struggle at every turn to offer it to anybody else. Can I have some of that for forgiveness there? That looks really good. No, get your own forgiveness. This is mine. And even when our Father in heaven steps in with what we read in verse 12, saying we are to forgive as we have been forgiven, our begrudging answer is still, nah, I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to need some time to just think about uh, how much forgiveness you actually deserve and, and, and how, much I, I, how fast I think you should be able to eat that cake. I, I need some time to think this through. I don't know if that resonates with any of you. 
Uh, uh, this, uh, I sure was convicted all over again this past week as I studied this passage because it doesn't make sense. How, how in the world can I receive this forgiveness from God, which I've done nothing to earn, and yet still want to withhold it from someone else? I don't want to give it to others. What, what, what's going on there? What, what's wrong with my heart that I do that? And although we've got a thousand different ways that we all want to try to justify this in our own hearts and in our own minds, we're confronted again and again with Jesus' teaching here in this prayer, in the fifth petition. We are to forgive, we say forgive us as we also have forgiven. And I'll tell you what, I think of all six petitions in this prayer, this fifth petition is the most difficult of all to pray. Even more difficult than surrendering our, our will and, our, and the reign of our lives to God. Why? It's because of the conditional nature of the request. You look, every single one of these other requests is just a straight ask. Would you do this? Would you do this? This one says, would you do this like this? Forgive us like we forgive. And to pray it many times makes hypocrites of us all. Because I don't know about you, but when I think, if I'm honest... That, that's, that's not at all how I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be forgiven like I forgive others. And yet if that's the case, why would Jesus include this as one of only three personal requests in the prayer that we're allowed to pray? What's he trying to teach us about God and about ourselves in teaching us to pray this way? And is there a way that we can actually pray this prayer with integrity? That's what I want to think about with you for a few minutes here as we look at our passage this morning. I want to do that in three ways today. We're going to talk about supplying our greatest need, acknowledging our need, and then finally, the sign of a need forgiven. Supplying our greatest need, acknowledging our need, and the sign of a need forgiven. I'm just going to give you fair warning ahead of time. I'm not, I'm not promising at all that this is going to be easy to look at this morning. There's going to be times it's going to be, it's going to be heavy. It's going to be uncomfortable, I think, at times to look at. But I promise you, I assure you, if we can learn together to pray this fifth petition, I believe it's going to totally transform both the way that we forgive others as well as the way that we view our own forgiveness from God. So if you close your Bibles, would you open them up again with me? Follow along with me, Matthew chapter 6. Follow along as we look now at Jesus teaches us how to ask Forgive us our debts. So let's look first of all at supplying our greatest need. Supplying our greatest need. And we need to talk about this because remember through this whole prayer we're saying Jesus is teaching us a pattern of prayer. He's teaching us, showing us how we should be praying, right? But before we even get into this specific request we're looking at this morning, if we zoom out for a second, consider this. By giving us this pattern of prayer... Jesus isn't just teaching us kind of a general rule saying, you know, start out with praying to God, giving Him thanks and worship, and then doing that first before you come to whatever needs you happen to have, your own personal needs. If you think about it, in, in giving us these three personal requests, the last three petitions, I think Jesus is also telling us what those personal needs are. He's telling us what our greatest personal needs are. So, last week, Kent uh, talked to us about the first need, Jesus says, is one of our greatest personal needs, asking for the provision of our daily bread. 
Next Sunday, we're going to look at what Jesus teaches us about asking God for his leading and protection. And of course, today, we're looking at this request. Jesus teaches us that the forgiving of our debts is one of our greatest personal needs. Now, I don't know about you, but when you look at that list, I think we'd all feel like, I think there's a couple more things I want to add to that list, actually. Uh, Really, that's it? Just three things we're we're supposed to ask for God? That uh, bread... Forgiveness and protection, that's, that's it. To which I want to say, first of all, remember, what Jesus is giving here is a template for prayer, a template through which we are supposed to learn how to pray. So while we certainly can pray this prayer verbatim, if you think about the things that you ask for on a regular basis, I think you'll find that actually they do. They do often fit into one of those three categories, generally speaking. But... Even beyond that, the second thing to point out, and I think uh, I just saw this for the first time this week myself. If you look at the three things Jesus tells us to ask the Father for, bread, forgiveness, leading or protection, think about it. We we looked at this last year in our I, I, I Am series. If Jesus is our bread of life who feeds us, if he is our resurrected Savior who gives us forgiveness, if he is the good shepherd who leads us. I wonder if what Jesus isn't ultimately teaching us to ask for in these second three requests is himself. If he is not saying, what you need most from the Father is me. You thought of it that way? I I think we see even more evidence of that as we continue to read on in the passage again. The end of chapter 6 where Jesus says, Those famous words, seek first his kingdom, seek him above all things, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Remember, even just before the prayer, in uh, verse 8 there, Jesus is saying, don't keep on babbling in prayer with these repetitions in your prayer. Why not? Because you don't need to. Because your Father already knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what your needs are, so pray like this. Which means if you step back and look big picture at the Lord's Prayer, I think what this prayer is ultimately leading us to ask for is a restored relationship with the Father that comes as a result of getting Jesus. When we get Him, we get this restored relationship with the Father and we get our greatest personal need met in Him. Which, hear me, that doesn't mean at all that Jesus is saying whatever requests you to bring to Him are are meaningless. No. No doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to ask for specific things. It means he's telling us if we get him, if we seek him above all other things, then all these other things that we bring to him will be given to us as well. How? Because he already knows our needs even before we ask him. He knows what you need. So seek him first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. So that's supplying our greatest need. Uh, Now that we understand that, I think a little bit better, we can look now talking about acknowledging our need. Acknowledging our need, and this is where we can dig into now this fifth petition a little bit more deeply now that we have this overarching idea that Jesus gives us about prayer. Because although these last three petitions of the prayer have their ultimate fulfilling in Jesus... Just like we saw last week, and we're going to see again next week. Jesus still wants you to eat. He still wants you to be 
forgiven. He still wants you to have leading and protection. You don't have to choose one or the other. It's, we're asking for both. And this is where Christians can sometimes get confused because Christianity is not Jesus saying to us, listen, guys, what I need you to do is just steadily stop needing other things. Stop having desires anymore, okay? I don't want you to want anything else anymore. I just want you to, only thing you're ever going to ask for now is me. No, right? I mean, all Jesus' command was, was that we are to seek God's kingdom first. We are to seek him above all other things. He's not saying that you're never supposed to seek anything else. We're to seek him first above all. And the reason is because whenever we seek something else, we seek one of God's good gifts above him, that thing, however good it might be, becomes now the God that we worship. And so he's saying, seek me first. Don't seek those other things because those things become God's, whatever it is, uh, uh, money, a spouse, kids, sex, whatever, whatever thing you put in that category, they're all good things to enjoy, but they make terrible gods. Why? Because they were never designed to fulfill us. They were never designed to save us, and thus they can never sustain the weights of the expectation we put on them. And this now is where our need for forgiveness comes in. Look back at verse 12 with me, first half. Jesus says, this is how we are to pray. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now, that's a very interesting language to, to think about the sins that we're asking God to forgive as debts. We don't often think about sin as a, a debt that we owe to God. And yet, if you think about just in our everyday lives, when a, when a prisoner has finished serving their sentence for breaking the law, very often we talk about them having served their debt to society, Right? And so, same thing here. When you think about sin that way as breaking God's law, it means that we incur a debt with Him that needs to be paid. I think that's why Jesus refers to them this way. Problem is, from the very first breaking of God's law, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and onward, no one has ever been able to, humanly speaking, find a way that we can actually pay that debt to God. We can't do it. Even the Old Testament sacrificial system was only to point out again and again the, the inability of human means, the insufficiency of human means in order to repay the debt to God that we owe. All it did was constantly point us again and again to our need for divine needs to take care of that. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that this sin problem that, that puts us all in God's Debt, it's pervasive. It, it's, it affects and touches every human being that ever, that's ever lived. There's no exception. There's no person who isn't in God's debt. He says, we're, we are all under that debt. We all owe a debt to God. And later on, Romans 6.23, Paul tells us that the only sufficient payment that God will accept for this debt is death. Make a lot of us want to be like, whoa, 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 excuse me, what? That, that hardly seems like a, a fair punishment. I mean, that's, that's quite disproportionate to the crime, don't you think? Until we remember what we said two weeks ago about the bent of every human heart since Adam and Eve to want to remove God from his throne where he rules over us and to put ourselves on that throne, where, where, where it's our kingdom, our name being hallowed, our will being done. 
What's the legal charge brought against anyone in a court of law when you try to take over power from a king to whom you owe allegiance? It's treason. It's treason. I guarantee you, any country, you talk about someone in North Korea trying to take out Kim Jong-un, someone in America trying to take over the White House, the the just penalty for that treason is going to be death. Try to pull that off in Canada. Okay, I don't know what would happen. Maybe they'd tell you, please don't do that again. We're we're nicer here, but still. As the, the king of the universe, the God who made everything in heaven and earth and everything in it. He is the king to whom we owe allegiance, whether or not we think we do or not. And in seeking to remove him from his rightful throne in every way, we say, I don't want you to be ruler of my life. Oh, but I'm going to take and use your stuff. Thanks very much. We are guilty of treason on a cosmic level. And what Paul says is that the just penalty for that debt that we owe to God is death. And so in teaching us to pray this way, Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. I think Jesus is teaching us two things. He's teaching us something about the Father, and he's teaching us something about us. First of all, in teaching us to pray to our Father in heaven for forgiveness, Jesus is revealing the Father as the one who in love longs to free us from that sentence of death. He longs to forgive that debt that we owe. He's saying, there's a way here. Come to the Father. Pray to Him. He's the one who wants to forgive that debt. And not just to to get rid of it. Not just to excuse it and say, you know, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. That would make Him an unjust judge. No. He wants to forgive it and take care of that debt for us by making payment for it Himself. By sending His Son to die in our place. That's what's so staggering about what Paul goes on to say in Romans 3, that 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 debt that we could never pay on our own, it's been paid for us by sending Jesus to die in our place, to die in our behalf, allowing the Father to be, Paul says, both just and the one who justifies, the one who has faith in Jesus. That's what Jesus is teaching us about the Father and teaching us to pray, Father in heaven, forgive us, our debts. What he's teaching us about ourselves, teaching us to pray this way, well, it's that we're in debt. (laughs) Teaching us to pray, forgive us our debts, he's teaching us you have a debt that needs to be paid, which is not meant at all to be insulting. It's meant to be diagnostic. Uh, a, A doctor that looks at your test results and tells you you've got cancer. He's not being insulting to you. He's telling you the true state of affairs, uh, the true state of your health, no matter how healthy you feel. Uh, The house manager that would have come one night to the prodigal son telling him after one of his epic parties, I'm sorry your your credit card's been declined for insufficient funds. He's not telling him you're a bad person. He's saying you now owe a huge debt, no, no matter how wealthy you thought you were. And in teaching us to pray this way, Jesus is graciously revealing both our great need, our great debt that we owe, as well as pointing us to the Father who longs to forgive it for us. I think the point, however, in telling us to ask for the forgiveness, in teaching us 
to ask, Father in heaven, forgive us our debts, is that we need to accept the diagnosis. We need to agree with Jesus that he's right about this debt that we owe. Why? Well, because if you think Jesus is wrong, either that we owe a debt at all or that we have some ability in ourselves to pay it, you'll never ask for the forgiveness that only the Father can give. I mean, one of the classic examples of this from the Bible is a parable Jesus tells in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee comes into the temple pretty sure of himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm so great at tithing. I'm so good at this and this. Thank you, God. Tax collector says, will not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beats his breast and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says it's that tax collector, not the Pharisee who goes away forgiven. Why? Because the tax collector was willing to acknowledge his need for his debt to be repaid. And so he cries out to God for mercy. Would you have mercy on me? Forgive my debt. The tax collector didn't see his need to be forgiven of anything. And so he didn't even bother to ask. So how about you? Do you agree with Jesus that you're in debt? Do you acknowledge that he's right that you have a debt that needs to be forgiven. 1 John 1.9, John tells us, if we confess our sins, we read this this morning, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, will forgive us from all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what another way to interpret or to translate that word confess in the Greek is? Acknowledge. If we will acknowledge our debt before God, if we will agree with Jesus that he's right about our need, he will be faithful and he'll be just to forgive and cleanse. I mean, that's the hope of the gospel right there. Yes, we have a great need, but we also have a great Savior for that need. If you're here this morning and you are tired and worn out and battered from trying so hard to be the ruler of your own life, Failing again and again, Jesus says you only need to acknowledge your debt before the Father. Turn in repentance and come to him, and the Father will forgive you. He'll take care of the debt in a moment because Jesus has covered that debt. Would you come to him that way today if you've never done it? Would you turn to him and say, I have a great debt. Would you be the Savior? Would you be the one who covers that debt for me? You can this very day have that debt covered in full. If you already know God as your Father, there's, there's application for us here as well because uh, the tense of that verb, confess, in the Greek is actually one of continual activity. So, Jesus, uh, uh, sorry, John is saying if we will continually acknowledge our sins, continually acknowledge our debt, He will continue to be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Martin Luther, who was one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, and we just celebrated the 500th anniversary of this past October 31st. In his 95 Theses, which he nailed to the door of the church at Wittenberg, the very opening of this, this 95 Theses said this, Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance, that is turning away from our sin and turning to God for forgiveness. The entire life of the believer, not just the beginning, 
The entire life of the believer is to be one of repentance. Why? Well, because we've said this a lot of times. We don't just have a past debt that needs to be covered. We, we continue to incur debt every day when we fail to obey God's law. I mean, so we continually need to acknowledge our need to be forgiven. So that's supplying our greatest need, acknowledging our need. The last thing I want to look at quickly with you this morning is the sign of a need forgiven. The sign of a need forgiven. And we need to look at this because as incredible, as amazing as everything we just said about our loving Father freely forgiving our debt in Jesus is, we haven't yet looked at the second half of the verse. Look again at verse 12. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Almost everyone I know who who knows about this part of the Lord's Prayer loves the first half of verse 12 and has no idea what to do with the second half. Uh, It's evidenced by the fact that I think I rewrote this section of the sermon like four times this week. What do we do with that? If the second half of verse 12 doesn't make you nervous, verse 14 and 15 there, that's terrifying. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins? What? That that sure sounds like what Jesus is saying there, is that our forgiveness is entirely dependent on whether or not we offer forgiveness to others, doesn't it? I'll be honest, if that's what Jesus is getting at, we should be terrified. I mean, if I can receive forgiveness freely from God, the Father, but then He's following me around, and at any moment, you know what, somebody cuts me off in traffic, and I honk the horn and swear at them. Uh, maybe my kid apologizes to me for backing into that lamppost, and instead of forgiving them, I just storm off and slam the door to go and calm down. That, that if I do that, God's going to come down and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to go ahead and just take back that forgiveness I gave you. Sorry. Looks like you can't handle this there, Mr. Angry Pants. I mean, is that what Jesus is saying? There's, there's good news and bad news to what I'm going to say next. The good news is on a big, big picture theological level, no, Jesus is not saying, okay, the Father is going to forgive your debt, but if you can only forgive people 50% of the time, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that's only going to cover 50% of your sins. You're on your own for the rest. That. No, that's not what he's saying. I mean, if that's the case, none of us could ever be forgiven for our sins because we can't do it perfectly. But before we get all comfortable and break out the beach chairs, the, the bad news is that Jesus is still calling us to forgive others with the same freedom with which you've been forgiven. What he says there in verse 12, what he says in verse, verse 14 and 15, he just states it plainly. No explanation, no provisos. He just states it. Forgive as you've been forgiven. If you don't forgive others, your Father won't forgive you. He just states it, matter of fact. In fact, you see this in lots of other places in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew 10, 8, Jesus says, Freely you have received, freely give. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Paul telling us, You are to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. In fact, one of the clearest and most terrifying examples of this uh, of all is Jesus' parable in Matthew 18. 
of how the Father sees not extending forgiveness that we've freely received to others. If you know this story about a servant comes before his master with a debt, millions of dollars that he could never hope to pay in 20 lifetimes, the master forgives him, clears the debt in full, and yet that same guy walks out the door, freely forgiven of all that debt, and in the same breath, starts to choke out one of his friends who owes him a debt of $20. And he's dragged back in. So the master says, "Uh uh-uh. You've received such a great forgiveness. Shouldn't you have been merciful to your friend? And you know what I think? I think the reason Jesus states this teaching on prayer like this without any explanation is because he knows our hearts all too well. He knows we're looking for any justification at all to not have to share our cake with others. We look for any reason to not do it, any excuse that would say, well, it's okay in this circumstance. And so he doesn't give some, he doesn't follow this up with some extended teaching, talking about doctrine of sin or the atonement. No, 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 he just takes this and puts it out on the table. Forgive as you've been forgiven. If you won't offer the forgiveness you've received to others, your father won't forgive you. He just puts it on the table and leaves it there. And allows it to touch us wherever it needs to touch us. So where does it touch you this morning? When you hear that teaching, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. What is it? Where does it touch you when you read that? What does it cause you to see as a need to change in the way that you view forgiveness, both your own as well as the forgiveness you offer to others? I think regardless, the clear implication here is that when someone sins against you, when someone in, in, is, is in your debt, for the one who's been forgiven by God, the question that we can never ask is, well, how much do they deserve to be forgiven? How sorry does it seem like they really are? Or even, how much forgiveness do I have to offer? How much of my cake do I have to share in order to not endanger my forgiveness with the Father? That's not the question we're to ask. The question we should always begin with is, how much have I been forgiven? What did it cost God to forgive my debt. I know, it's, it's not impossible. Believe me, I know. It's not impossible to ask those questions and still not want to offer forgiveness. I know. But if you seek to begin every thought about forgiveness that way by first acknowledging your own need by first acknowledging the debt that was paid for you, I think it has to, over time, it has to change somehow the way you offer forgiveness to others. It has to. In fact, the only way it couldn't is if you saw Jesus' death on the cross for your debt as no big deal. It's the only way you could not be changed in the way you offer forgiveness. Because in the end... That's the problem. Withholding forgiveness of others, withholding forgiveness from someone else, it's not just devaluing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It's also devaluing the debt that you owe that put him on the cross. 
as though your sins weren't that big a deal. No. Our debt was great before him, and he forgave it freely. So too, we should forgive others. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable, perhaps well known to you, about a son who leaves his father in one of the most dishonoring ways possible. There was an inheritance that was given to children when their father died, and the younger son who comes to his father basically saying, I wish you were dead. I'm so tired of pretending to like you while I wait for you to die. Can you just give me the money now so I can get out of here? Unbelievable treatment of his father, and the father gives him the money. The son goes off and squanders the money, and when the money's gone and he's destitute, as the parable goes, he comes to his senses. If you think about the language of this, we've been talking about this morning, he comes to acknowledge his great debt before his father. And in repentance, he decides to return home. The welcome, the welcome and embrace that this son receives from his father is meant at least to picture the Father's reception of all who will acknowledge their debt before Him and come in repentance for forgiveness. It's showing us what praying this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer looks like from heaven's perspective. Father, lovingly looking out, longing for us to turn in repentance to Him. Recognize our need and come for forgiveness. And when we do come, it's not standing there with arms folded, saying, well, let's just see, you're going to have to earn this off. No, embracing and forgiving. But in adding this conditional element that we would forgive others in the way that we've been forgiven, if you think about it this way, uh, a, a child, a daughter who's been loved well by her father, you know it many times. One, one of the ways being because when some boy gives her a little bit of attention, she doesn't just jump at him. You can tell because she's been loved well by her father. She's not looking to fill some kind of daddy wound with someone who's offering that attention to her. Someone who's incredibly generous. You know that they must have received great generosity in their life. And teaching us to pray, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Jesus is saying people should be able to tell how much you've been forgiven for by the way that you forgive others who are in your debt. They should see a sincere, albeit imperfect, demonstration in you of what the Father's forgiveness of them could look like. Now, sure, can, can some people just forgive way too easily? Just like right away, oh, I just want to forgive it, when really they're doing that just because they don't like conflict? Yeah, yeah, sure, that, that was me for many years. I just didn't like conflict, so I'd be like, you know what, it's okay. Let's just, let's just smooth things out. Doing that might, might demonstrate the love of the Father, but it ignores the fact that in order to love us, God had to justly punish His Son on the cross for our sin. Or on the other hand, can people take much longer to forgive? Can they withhold forgiveness when really they're doing that because they want to see justice carried out first? Yes, absolutely. Doing that might demonstrate the justice of God, but that ignores the fact that God was so committed to justice that He sent his son in love in order to be a substitute for us to pay our debt. 
If you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, you've been forgiven a great debt by your Father in heaven. A debt that you could never pay on your own, and that's incredibly good news. This gospel we declare truly is good news that we want to share with people. But if we want them to know it is good news, we want them to be changed by it, we can't just tell them about it. We have to show them what it looks like. We have to almost give them a a living preview of the welcome that they'll receive when they acknowledge their debt and turn to the Father, when they see how we forgive their debts. I think that's what praying this fifth petition of the prayer should lead us to become more and more, to be forgiven forgivers. Forgive us our debts. Yes, we have debt. Forgive us like other people see us forgiving. They will see us living out the hope of the gospel, that we have a great Father in heaven who's forgiven our debt, who will receive all who come to him in repentance. May they see it a demonstration of that in us. Let's pray right now. I'm going to ask those of you who are helping me serve communion if you'd come forward at this time as well. Our Father in heaven, we come this morning asking you to be that great Father who welcomes those who are your debtors, those who are in debt to you. Not because of our own goodness, not because we've earned your acceptance, but because our acceptance was earned for us by your Son on the cross. God, as those who freely receive that forgiveness, nothing we've done to receive it, may we be those who offer it to others. May we acknowledge our continual need and may that lead us to be those who are willing to forgive, to freely forgive. It's never easy, but it wasn't easy for you. It cost you the life of your son. Lead us to be those who are living examples of what your welcome will look like when we turn to you and acknowledge our need. We ask it for Christ's sake and for your glory. Amen.